Hey, good afternoon. You guys are looking pretty beautiful. Thanks. Uh, especially for camp camping. I mean, I wish I could look as good as you on a normal day, but you're looking pretty good for campers. Just turn to someone beside you and say she's probably talking about you. You are pretty good looking. I wanted us, uh, what a beautiful spot to do this in, but I just wanted to take a, a couple minutes of your time during the festival to talk a little bit about Jesus and uh, maybe dive a little bit deeper uh, into, into the, the road that he takes us on, the places that he invites us to travel. Um, I really have loved uh, following him, and where he's taken me in my life has been surprising and adventurous and way different than what I thought it would be. And, um, and so I just wanted to take a little look at a couple of passages of scripture that has helped me, uh, I feel like has rescued me from sort of a shallow end Christianity and moved me into the deeper places of faith. And I feel like that's kind of, Jesus is always inviting people into the, on, onto that journey. Um, I remember when this all started for me, I was, uh, I really believed that Jesus kind of had two missions when he came to earth. I believe that the first mission was to save sinners, save people that didn't know him, and just and bring uh, reconciliation to the earth. So to save sinners was mission number one. And then mission number two, I just thought, was uh, to, to really stick it to the Pharisees. You know, that's, it seemed to me like when I read the scriptures, that's kind of the two dual missions Jesus had. One was to save sinners, to be nice to them, and the second was to stick it to the Pharisees and kind of teach them a lesson. And so all of those, yeah, that's kind of what I grew up just believing and then one day I remember I was reading the scriptures and I felt like God kind of interrupted me, which at first I thought was quite rude. And then I realized he is the scriptures. So then I got over it. But I was reading this story. It's very famous about the woman that had been caught in adultery and she was dragged out. Do you remember the religious Pharisees were saying to Jesus, the law says that she should be killed and stoned and they all have stones. And, and then they try to trap Jesus, you know, with the question and says, you know, what do you think? as this great teacher of the law, and then Jesus looks at them and says, well, you know, oh, actually, he kneels down in the dirt, he starts writing something in the dirt, and, you know, no one really knows what he's writing, but we all kind of know he's probably writing the sins of the Pharisees, right? Like, that's, because that's like his dual mission was to stick it to them, so that's probably what he's doing, and then he says, you know, whoever doesn't have sin, go ahead, you can, you can throw the first stone, and then one by one, they drop the stones, and they walk away. It's kind of this epic, beautiful story of, of Jesus's mission, dual mission there, exposed, one, to save sinners, and two, is to stick it to the Pharisees. And I was in the middle of reading this thing, and I felt like God said to me, you know, Danielle, when you're reading the scripture, this specific scripture, who are you relating to in the scripture? Like, which person do you think you relate to? And I remember reading it through. I'm going like, this is an easy question. I relate to the woman. And Jesus just kind of politely said to me, you know, when was the last time you were dragged naked in public and like, you know, publicly threatened to be you know, stoned, and not that kind of stone, but like with rocks and stuff. Like, when's that, when's the last time that ever happened? You know, when have you never had any recourse or any rights or any ability to even defend yourself? Like, when has that ever happened? You know, and I, I remember thinking, okay, there was that one time one guy looked at me weird for speaking in church or something like that. But I really, when I was honest with myself, I don't have anything in common with that woman. And so Jesus, I felt like God said to me, you know, read it again and find somebody else to relate to. So I read it again. God said, you know, who is it this time? I said, well, this is obvious, but of course it's Jesus, you know. <laughs> and then God, I felt like the Holy Spirit just said to me, you know, really? You're relating to Jesus in the passage? Like you're like a, a rabbi with no place to, 
to lay your head, you know, like you came from heaven and incarnated into a human body. Like, you know, you're the personification of God. Like, that's who you're going to relate to. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. He said, try it again, you know. So I read the scripture again. I read it over. I feel like God said to me, you know, who are you relating to this time? And I remember saying, the rocks. I'm relating to the rocks because here's what I will not do. I will not relate to the Pharisees. And I felt like God said to me, if you're honest with yourself, Danielle, you will read this passage of scripture and you will relate to the Pharisees because out of all of the people in the New Testament, you have the most in common with them. You have the most in common with them. They're not the enemy. They're people who uh, often grew up in church defending the faith, trying to keep it pure, trying to keep it right, trying to do the things that they knew to do, trying to keep the law, trying to please God, praying regularly in their lives, reading the scriptures every day and meditating on them. He said, if you have anything in common with anybody in the New Testament, it's the Pharisees, and you should get to know them a little bit better. I remember being so insulted, just kind of like enraged, but also when I got to the place in my life where I could admit that I had the most in common in the New Testament with the Pharisees, if the honest truth was out, you know, I know how to behave properly. I know the right Christian thing to say, even though in my heart I'm thinking something completely different. You know, I know the acceptable practices of behavior. I know how to appear like I'm better than I am. I mean, I've got these things down. I was raised in a Pharisaical environment, so I've got a lot in common with Pharisees. I felt like God said to me, like, read the scriptures again, but this time maybe try to keep in mind that I came to reconcile everybody to God, that I came to actually redeem the entire earth, that I came for every person even the Pharisees who I love. And then I started reading the scriptures again, and it was baffling to me, but this is what I started realizing. Jesus met with Pharisees for dinner in their homes. I mean, he met with them at night in secret places. He went to the synagogues to talk with them and communicate with them and teach them and even discuss the scriptures with them. He would go out of their way to meet with the leaders. He was constantly engaging with the Pharisees. He healed them at dinner parties. I mean, he was constantly engaged with them. And there's this passage in Matthew 23, and it's called the woe chapter. And I used to read it before I had this encounter with God. I used to read it like, whoa, you're in trouble. And it was directed to the Pharisees. And there's a few words in there like snakes and vipers and dogs and stuff. So it kind of makes you think like, uh-oh, somebody's in trouble. But now when I got to Matthew 23, 23, it made total sense to me that God isn't saying, woe to you as in judgment. He's saying, whoa, guys. Like, you know, when you're trying to direct a horse, you know, you're trying to take a thoroughbred and change it a little bit. He's saying to the Pharisees, like, you're so close the things that you're desiring for the kingdom of God to be real, this connection with God, this desire to please God, they're all right desires, and you're so close to the kingdom, but there's just this little thing that you've got to adjust. There's just a little bit of a shift that has to happen in your life. There's this direction that I've come to take you in, and if you'll follow me, you'll get the desires of your heart. And I started to read the scriptures a different way, and as soon as I started real, re, realizing that I myself was a Pharisee that needed some direction from Jesus to get all the things right, to go into the deeper end, to actually allow Jesus to take me somewhere, uh, all the scriptures began to open up in new ways and exciting ways. And the invitation that Jesus gave me began to, to teach me things that I never understood before. 
Matthew 23, 23 was one of those verses. It like unlocked a whole new teaching for me. It says, woe to you, teachers of the law, religious, Pharisees, and hypocrites. You pay attention to the minute details of the law, Jesus says. Like how much you should tithe, like before tax? 10% before tax, you know, like you're paying attention, you're having conversation, but the minute details of your faith, the minute details of how to practice this thing. But the scripture says this, Matthew 23, 20, you're neglecting the greater things or the deeper things or the more meaningful things of the law. And he uses, Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew 23, 23, that his hearers, the religious, the Pharisees, they would have known really well. It would have been like me saying, for God so loved the world that. And you in your head right now, are you're filling in the blanks, right? Even if all you do is go to football games. Uh, you're filling in the blanks because we got that part down. We've got that verse down. And, and Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, he does exactly this. He says, you know, um, you neglect the greater or the weightier things of the law like, he says, faith and mercy and justice. And when he says faith, mercy, and justice, it's just like me saying John 3.16. All of those religious thinkers, their minds go back to a scripture that they memorized, a part of the Torah that they would have memorized as young boys. They would have known it. They would have been like first in line for the Sunday school prize, you know, for getting to the verse first or memorizing it first. It goes back to Micah 6.8. Jesus is quoting the prophet Micah. Micah speaking to the people of God. He's saying to them, you know, the people are saying to God, like, what do we got to do here to get some answers to prayer? Like, where are you? Why do you feel so far away? Why aren't you answering us when we call? And the prophet says, you know already, people of God, what God's requiring of you. He wants you to love mercy. He wants you to walk humbly, and he wants you to act justly. That's all God's want. This is summing up the law. Uh, this is all that God's wanting you to do. And this is what Jesus is doing to the Pharisees, he's reminding them of something they already know. This is one of Jesus' great techniques. Or it reminds me of the time my son, he started, um, uh, he started kindergarten, and I lived in Australia at the time. His name's Zion, and he went off to his first day of kindergarten. It's a big deal when your kid goes off to kindergarten for the first time, right? You're just like, they don't need me anymore. You know, you're, you kind of go through an existential crisis. And when he came back home from kindergarten, I remember saying to him, you know, Zion, tell me all about your first day of kindergarten. Like, it must have been epic. And Zion said the same thing he says every day since that day about school. He just looked at me and he said, it was really boring. I said to him, how could it be boring for Pete's sake? It's kindergarten and we live in Australia. You know, like, this can't be boring. He said, all we did for the whole day was he said, every one of us just told stories about what we had done over our summer break. I got a little bit excited because we had actually done some fun stuff over the summer break. Like we, we swam with sharks. I mean, we, you know, we sensed their presence, but um, we didn't see them. But, you know, we sensed they were there and stuff. And we had done. Some, so I said, which story did you tell them, Zion? And Zion looked at me and he said, well, I wanted my story to be really good. So I made one up. I said, no way, you made one up. I said, what did you say? And he just looks at me. This is how you can tell he's like born in a preacher family. He just looks at me and he says, Mom, do you remember the time back in Canada when I was in that go-kart race? And then in the middle of the go-kart race, my go-kart exploded and it became a motorcycle. And then I rode the motorcycle into the big finish and they gave me that big gold trophy for winning the race. And I looked at him 
my five-year-old son? And I said, no, I don't remember that. And then he just closed his eyes and he put his little hand on my forehead. He waited like a little minute and he opened his eyes and he said, do you remember now? Do you remember now? Now, what my son Zion's after is kind of what Jesus, what he's doing is he's doing something Jesus is doing to the Pharisees in this passage of Scripture. He's helping them to remember the better story. He wants them to remember a better story, the one that kind of feels like it's too good to be true, the one that feels like it's impossible, the one that feels like it's too extravagant, the one that feels like it's too spectacular. He's trying to get them to evoke them to remember these deep truths that they already know that they're just not living. And that's what's happening in the passage of Scripture. All of his listeners are going, oh, yeah, Micah 6.8. And one of the great things about Jesus is that he doesn't just tell a story or tell a better story. He lives a better story. This is one of the great remarkable things about Jesus. One of the reasons he was incarnated, why God had to become flesh, was to show us what it looks like to live a better story as a human being. And one of my favorite stories in Luke chapter 17 it's uh, Jesus healing these uh, lepers. And in this story, I feel like you can see the instructions of Matthew 23, 23 coming to life in human form. What does it mean to live a life that isn't just concerned with the minute details of the law, the do's and the don'ts of Christianity, the what should I do, what shouldn't I do, how should I tithe, how many times do I go to church, how many verses should I memorize? Those are all good things. But they're, they're not the deep things. The deep things of the law are loving mercy and walking humbly with God and, and acting justly in a world, the deep end of the pool. And we just sort of go like, how do we do that? How do we make that transfer from this shallow end of Christianity into the deep end? And I feel like Jesus teaches us how to do this by the way he lives. So this is just one story. You can find these principles in almost every Jesus story you can find in the, in the New Testament. You'll see him living the deep places of the law, the Micah 6-8 principles. But in Luke 17, it starts out like this. I'm going to read you this passage of Scripture. If you're following along or you want to read it later, it's Luke 17. It starts in verse 11. It says this, As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, in some translations it says, On his way to Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Now, I just want to stop at that verse. It doesn't seem very important, but it is actually very interesting because on his way to Jerusalem, he, he stops by a border town between Galilee and Samaria. If we had a map here, um, we could show you on a map that geographically Jerusalem is not, or the border place between Galilee and Samaria is not actually physically on the way to Jerusalem. So when we read this passage of scripture, we sort of think Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and he runs into a border town and on his way to Jerusalem, there he is in the border place. But border places are actually designed to be out of the way, not in the way. They're designed to be out of the way. They don't actually want people to go to there or to walk through them on their way anywhere because they're dangerous places. Border places are designed to keep normal people safe. So border places are designed for leprosy, for people with infectious diseases, probably the beggars, the prostitutes, the drug addicts, sort of all the sort of less desirable people. 
They would be destined for the border places. So they are designed, even in today's society, we have border places everywhere. You won't know about them for the most part because they're designed to be out of the way. That's, that's how we, we, we want to put those people in a place where we don't have to see them every day because they invoke feelings of guilt or fear or shame or, you know, just all kinds of things. So we just like those out of the way. That's the same way that's had the same thing happening in this land. But Jesus, the scripture says, on his way. So this is in Luke's gospel. Luke is either making a bit of a joke, you know, like his readers would have read this and been like, you know, like he would have been winking, like on his way to Jerusalem, he stopped by the border place. I have a couple theories about it. It's either sort of this inside joke, and we just don't get it because we're not from there, so we don't know our geography. Or it's just that Jesus is truly and properly man, and he got lost and couldn't ask for directions. It's possible. I'm just saying. I'm just bringing it up as a possibility. Just seeing if you're still awake out there. Um, or he's doing it on purpose. He's doing it on purpose. He's making a statement. As a matter of fact, the first principle of living with Jesus into the deeper places of faith is to go out of your way to get in the way of injustice. You know, one of the ways that we contribute to injustice in the world is to choose not to see it. That's one of the great ways that we contribute. We all think we're not at fault, but actually to choose not to see injustice is actually to participate in it. It's just a fascinating principle. And Jesus is always doing this. You'll read this in scripture. Once you see this one time, you'll start seeing it every time. He's always going to the other side of the lake. He's always going to Samaria to hang out with people he shouldn't be hanging out. He's always going out of his way to get in the way of the border places of the world. This is one of the principles of living in the deep end. This is what it means to love mercy. Why would Jesus go out of his way to get in the way of infectious diseases, of needy people? Do you ever, do you ever understand this in scripture? When, when a crowd of needy people come running towards Jesus, it's like his, his face lights up. He's like, woohoo! needy people you know he's just he's like yeah they found me you know the disciples are like send those guys home like this is a nightmare i'm exhausted thinking about it like now we're gonna have to feed them and then we're gonna like heal them and we gotta do all this stuff and jesus is just like bring it on bring it on it's just all the needy people you could find you know he loves mercy now there's a really big distinction between loving mercy and acting merciful if you're a Pharisee like me, I'm in recovery, by the way, and you're invited to join me. I've started a group called Pharisees Anonymous. I've been in recovery for many, many years now. It's been awesome. But if you're, if you're, you're used to acting merciful, but loving mercy and acting merciful are very different things. And what God's requiring us in Micah is not to act merciful. We all know how to do that. But it's to love mercy. And how do you get to a place where you're willing to go out of your way to get in the way of needy people just because you love dishing out mercy? I remember I've been working with the Salvation Army for 22 years uh, in marginal border places all around the world, actually, trying to help get women out of prostitution and out of human trafficking and stop sort of that evil and try to end extreme poverty, those sorts of things. I'm here at Creation Fest with Compassion International, who's just doing some wonderful work around the world. Uh, just got back from Haiti with them last year, looking at some of the projects they're doing. They go out of their way to get in the way. It's one of the principles of that organization. They go out of their way to get in the way, and it's uncomfortable. Why would you go out of your way to get to, like, a slum in Uganda? Why would you do that? 
except that you might be in love with mercy, except that you might actually be following Jesus into the deeper places of faith, the faith that God actually is requiring of his people. And, uh, and I remember I was, I was at this retreat with the Salvation Army. It was for leaders, and I didn't want to go. I had to go. It was one of my requirements, and I had a bit of an a bad attitude about it. And I remember coming in, I was coming late, and I got to this, like, leadership retreat place, and I was like, I'm here, you know. And the lady at the desk said, oh, we didn't know you were coming, so we forgot to reserve you a room. You know, so they had to find me a room at the last minute, and there was no door on the door, and there was, like, no bathroom. And I just was like, oh, for Pete's sake, you know, this is just, in my best pharisaical mind, I was insulted. I remember thinking I'm probably just jet lagged, you know, so I'm going to go for a quick jog and I'll come back, kind of shake off this feeling I've got of like, you know, just judgment and pride. And I came back from the run and there was all these leaders, you know, having dinner together in this beautiful glass enclave sort of place. And one of them came running out to me and said, oh, Danielle, thank God you're here. I remember thinking to myself, finally, someone knows who I am, you know, in my great, don't worry, I'm in, stop judging me, I'm in recovery. And, uh, and I said, oh, oh, thanks. And she said, no, no, it's, it, there's this homeless couple just in the next town over, and they're stranded on the side of the road. And we just thought, you know, who could help them? And we just thought to ourselves, oh, great, Danielle's here. She could do it. You know, she'd be good at this. And I looked over at all these Christian leaders having dinner together in this glass enclave, and I had come to this retreat fresh off of a speaking thing that I was doing, and I'd taken my holidays, and I just was like exhausted, and I'd just gone for a run. And, you know, so inside I was thinking, you mother of a Pharisee, which is a Christian swear word, right? He's mother of a Pharisee. Like you get, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. there's not one Christian leader left in the world who cares for the poor. It's got to be me, you know, like I was doing this like thing in my head, you know. And um, and really stop judging me. And um, but they handed me the credit card from the main office. They said, "Here, can you take care of it?" I remember putting it in my pocket and driving the whole way. I'm driving to this homeless couple. I'm just like, "Oh, for Pete's sake!" Like, you know, like I'm the last person that cares about the poor. And I'm just like, blah blah blah. And this is terrible. And I'm exhausted. This is the last thing I want to do. And I remember pulling over on the side of the road and saying to these homeless guys, "Like, just get in." You know, what do you need? You know, just like in my best mother, Teresa, what do you want? You know, and uh, they're like, well, we could eat and we need a bus ticket, you know, to get out of here and stuff. So I was like, okay, fine. So we go to the grocery store and it, this is in the middle of nowhere. Well, you'll, you're, you're familiar with this. <laughs> and we're like in the middle of wilderness Canada, you know, and I, so the grocery store is fantastic, but everything costs like $10 or more, right? Yeah, I don't know if you if you have this here, but like a milk is like, I don't know, like sacred or something. It's like $11 for a gallon of milk. And and like, I, I remember when we hit the grocery store, you know this rule, you should never go shopping when you're hungry, right? And I'd just gone for a run. I had just traveled into town. I mean, I was really hungry. I'd missed the dinner. And I remember just getting into the front of this grocery store and like the smell of strawberries just like hit me hard. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, those strawberries smell amazing, you know, and these homeless guys are with me. They're like, they really do. They smell amazing. And then we both, like, eyed the price of the strawberries, and they were, like, $7 each or something, you know, just, like, crazy. And we were both, all of us, we were just like, you know, oh, man, that's too bad. And then all of a sudden, I realized, I realized that I had, a, I had the credit card <laughs> for the Salvation Army in my back pocket. Like, the, guy, the, the office, like, the head office person had given me a credit card to help these people out. I realized I had resources beyond my own. 
I remember saying to these homeless guys, I'm like, you guys want some strawberries? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, so do I. Let's get some strawberries. And then we like, then we went to like the bread aisle and like the bread, I was like, forget the normal white bread. Like, let's go for that olive encrusted almond sort, you know, like just like, you know, that loaf that you could never afford, but you think looks amazing. Let's get that, you know. And, and the grocery trip just turned into like, paradise. I mean, it just turned into so much fun. We're like eating food in the store and we're like having a good time and we're just like filling the cart up. And, you know, we get to the cashier and I think these homeless guys think I'm just going to like run, you know, I'm going to cut and run or something the whole time because the whole thing seems too good to be true. And we get to the cashier and they rack up the, the bill, you know, and rather than being like shocked and embarrassed and crazed, I just pass them the credit card. I'm just like, put it on this, you know. And just like cha-cha-ching, you know, they like put it, they put in the machine, the, the, the food's ours, you know, and we're just all just like, we're going to feast tonight, you know. And something in the middle of that transaction completely changed the transaction for me. I went from like duty and religious and like acting merciful to loving mercy, just to loving it. it, it something changed. And the thing that changed, I realized Afterwards, I remember when I was dropping them off at the bus ticket, I got them first class tickets, you know, because I, I, I had the capacity. I said, guys, forget it. Travel in style. You got food for style. You should travel in style. So I remember getting them first class tickets on this bus. And they said to me, this is awesome. I said, is there anything else you need? And they looked at me and they said, what we'd really like you to do is pray for us now. I remember thinking to myself, oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, that's one of the things I should do. I'm a Christian leader for Pete's sake. So I said, oh, yeah, I forgot. What, what can I pray for you for? And I remember them looking at me saying, we want whatever you have. Whatever this is you have. Like, we want this joy. Like, we want this fun. Like, we want this life that you have. Can, can you pray for us? I was like, oh, yeah, this comes from Jesus and a credit card. <laughs> this comes from Jesus, really. Like, something changed my whole posture, my whole outlook, my whole life. And it made this, like, dutiful, terrible, active, merciful life into this beautifully deep, wonderful salvation experience. And I remember thinking to myself on the drive back, I remember thinking, what happened? What was the change? Like, what was the big difference? And I realized that I had tapped in to a resource beyond my own. And this is, this is one of the keys of living in the deep end of faith is that your mercy will not do it. I mean, I'm the mother of three boys for Pete's sake. I'm out of mercy by about 8 a.m. I'm like tapped out. I got no more left. I'm like, I don't feel sorry for you. Wipe your own mouth. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is. Use the bathroom. Wash your hands. I don't have time for this. I'm out of mercy by about 8, 8.30 in the morning. But this is the scripture tells us that mercy is an inexhaustible resource that actually comes from heaven. It's accessible for us through Christ. Actually, we have access to mercy. And this is what the scripture says about mercy. It's new every morning. In other words, even if you were to give it all out, I mean, all of heaven's mercy. Can you imagine if you were just to dish it all out, it would be topped up again the next morning. I mean, you have in your back pocket as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you have access. You have a credit card with unlimited access to mercy. And this is the thing that Jesus understood. This is why he couldn't wait. This is why when needy people came, he's like, I can spend it today. You know, like he's just like, cha-ching. You guys want some strawberries? You know, there's 5,000 people in a crowd and they have to eat, you know, and the disciples are like, we just cannot do it. And Jesus is like, oh, I see leftovers here. 
I have access. I have access to something deeper than you do. I've got access to something greater than you do. In other words, it's not you religiously trying to use your own resources to change the world. It's you accessing heaven's resources. It's you accessing God's mercy, which is new and fresh for you every morning, by the way. Every forgiveness, every new day, every new opportunity, every chance to try again, every opportunity to even take a breath in is the mercy of God on your life. And you have all this mercy and access to all the mercy of heaven, fresh every day, like a credit card of mercy in your pocket. And if you could understand and tap into a mercy that's not just from you, it's from heaven, it would be inexhaustible. You would find yourself just like Jesus going out of your way to get in the way of needy people. You would just do it because you would realize you have it to do. And that this mercy thing is yours every morning. That's just number one. How do you learn to stop acting merciful like a religious person and actually be in love with mercy like a Jesus person? Like a maniac who goes out of his way to get in the way. Do you understand? This is what Jesus is inviting us to. Just a sniff of this deep end life of living for Jesus and with Jesus in an adventurous way in the world. This is what this means. It's really beautiful. So when he gets to this, this is just the first verse. And I've got a lot more to go. I'm not going to keep you too long, I promise. But there's just such a beautiful thing of unlocking what it is that Jesus is inviting us into. This beautiful, fresh life. Verse 12 says this, as he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. This is not a surprise. Jesus isn't like, whoa, there's lepers here. Jesus is going intentionally to where lepers hang out. So he's probably excited to see the lepers. They cry out at a distance and he looks at them and he says, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, this is fascinating because lepers were there in the border places because by law, they had to live there. This is just how it was. By law, by temple law, by cleansing law, by societal law, they were in the border places. As a matter of fact, you'll know this. They had to, they had to have bells and they had to cry out to people. We have lepers coming, lepers coming. Or they used to cry out, unclean, unclean, so people wouldn't touch them because leprosy was infectious disease. And this is actually how it was set up in society then, and it's also how it's set up in society now. In many respects, people are stuck in border places and unable to leave uh, cycles of poverty and addiction and schools that are uh, not adequate and on and on and on this goes all around the world. And Jesus goes out of his way to get in the way because he's in love with mercy, but then what he does is he gives these people something they haven't had in a long time. <laughs> the first thing he gives them is some choice. This is a radical idea. Uh, he, he's, he's giving them an opportunity to choose. When do you think the last time one of those lepers had an ability to choose what they did that day? Is the last time that, that they might have had the dignity of choice to say, we're going to give you an opportunity to do something that will help yourself. This is what Jesus is doing. It's just a radical idea of equality, by the way, where Jesus is walking humbly enough to say that every human is born in the image of God and has freedom in their DNA. And poverty, literally, by the way, is an absence of choice. It's disempowerment personified. That's what poverty is. So whenever the kingdom of God comes, it's empowerment. 
It's choice. It's you being given an opportunity to, to do the thing that God asks you to do, to do the thing that Jesus asks you to do in order to find your healing and find your hope and find a future that you never had before. It's this beautiful thing called freedom, uh, and it's absolutely wonderful. But what he asks the lepers to do is almost impossible. And the reason why is because it was against the law for them to obey his request. So this is really fascinating. You might need to know this. Everything Hitler did was legal. Every single thing Hitler did was legal. And almost every single thing Martin Luther King Jr. did was illegal. And this is a fascinating idea of how we've constructed our worldview around uh, the law. Jesus literally is inviting the lepers, to go against the social norm, to break the temple laws. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that? This, again, brings us into a deep end of Christianity to say that we have got to challenge unjust systems that keep people impoverished. It's part of what it means to follow Jesus, and Jesus is doing this all the time. He's doing it more specifically when uh, he marches into the temple, you know, when he overthrows the temple. We all know that one. Or he's doing it all the time, you know, when Mary and Martha are in the house. And you remember Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, which, by the way, means to be a disciple. That's how they used to say to be a disciple meant to sit at the feet of a rabbi. So when it says she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, it doesn't mean she's just gazing at Jesus you know, nicely, like in contemplative prayer, it means she's becoming a disciple. She's in the part of the house reserved for men. And when Martha comes up to Jesus in the scripture and says, like, you better tell Mary to get in the kitchen and help me, she's not saying, I need help with the dishes. She's saying, this is against our customs. This is against the social norm. Women don't go to school to be disciples of rabbis. They're not allowed. She can't be in this section of the house. This is reserved for men. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, sorry, Martha, but what Mary's chosen is better, and I'm not going to take it from her. It will not be taken from her because the kingdom that I'm bringing is a deep-end kingdom. It's going to challenge existing structures. It's going to challenge systems that keep people impoverished. It's going to challenge people that keeps uh, women and men uh, unequal. It's going to challenge those systems, and this is what Jesus invites our disciples to. So he tells the disciples to go ahead and break systems of injustice and laws, and social norms, and they make this trip against the flow into the temple where they're not allowed to go. They go right into the center of society. One of the other reasons Jesus would send them to the temple, of course, is to receive a certificate of cleansing that only a priest could write that would then be a ticket for them to actually re-enter society and be contributors instead of receivers all the time. And he gives people this incredible ability to choose for themselves. This is one of the great principles of the kingdom of God. One of the great things he invites us to do, to allow people, instead of just, here, I know what you need because you're a poor person, to say, here's an opportunity. Do you want to take it? And this is one of these great things Jesus is doing for us all the time as well, giving us choices, giving us the freedom, empowering us to make our choices for ourselves. Do you want to follow Jesus into the places, not just the minute details of the law where we get lost in the how many and how much and how often, but into those deep, beautiful places where we fall in love with mercy, where we follow Jesus out of our way to get in the way of these deep and crazy places where we, we run into people that we would never meet any other places, people with infectious diseases, people who aren't looking like us, people who are different colors than us and different cultures than us and different pressures than us. 
and we run into them and we're excited about it and we offer this beautiful thing called walking humbly where we realize we're all created together in the image of God and it changes things and it challenges things and then we get to be involved in this beautiful life of challenging systemic injustice and poverty wherever it exists in the world. Isn't it exciting? And this is just two verses of scripture. There's so much more. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like to encourage you First of all, to join my club called Pharisees Anonymous if you need to. If you need to just shift your posture a tiny bit and say, okay, 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 I actually have the most in common with religious people trying to keep religious laws instead of actually people who are disempowered and needing to find Jesus in the world. If that's you, I just invite you to know that Jesus loves you. That Jesus loves you and he'll meet with you and he'll talk to you and he'll heal you and he'll lead you. And you can be part of this incredible, deep, beautiful thing called the kingdom of God coming to the world. And you're invited into this beautiful, deep place where the water is cool and it's refreshing. And it's also exhilarating because you're trying to stay alive and you got to kick your feet. You got to learn how to swim and there's going to be all kinds of challenges, but every challenge will be worth it. If you're looking for places to begin the challenge, one is just really in prayer. It's just to say, God, would you please search my heart? Would you please challenge my mind? Would you please open the scriptures so that I can follow you in a way that just like goes deeper than it's ever been before? Would you please expose in my heart things that keep me in a shallow place instead of in a deep place? If that's you, I invite you to do that. And listen, if you're already on the road following Jesus, maybe today you're just out of mercy and you realize you haven't tapped into a mercy that's inexhaustible and is new every morning. Maybe you just need to pour out of mercy in your own life. One of the great ways this happens for me is I realize all the places in my life where I'm in need of mercy. And oftentimes what I do is I just I open up my hands in the morning and I'll just say, God, freely I receive and freely I give. In other words, the world's going to teach me to go like this, but I'm just going to open it up. I'm going to allow your mercy to flow into my life. Be merciful to me about my mindset. Be merciful to me about my own situation. Be merciful to me about my pride. Be merciful to me about my sin. Be merciful to me. And then as, as I receive this mercy, just let me actually just open it up to the rest of the people that I run into uh, during the day. Would mercy be one of the things that flows out of your life? Would you start to become in love with mercy. This is a beautiful thing. If you need to practice this, of course, you'll know there's tons of ways to do it practically. If you haven't been to the compassion experience, what a beautiful way to experience, uh, you know, the need of mercy in the world and what mercy could do to change the trajectory of the world and what it might be to live like Jesus. If you haven't been there, please go there. It's a wonderful way to just walk through this invitation Jesus gives his people to respond and to be empowered and then to offer the empowering uh, promises of Jesus and the kingdom to other people all around the globe. Uh, and in the meantime here, let me pray for you. God, we just, we thank you so much that you interrupt us, that you uh, stop us on a trajectory that's already determined for us, and you give us some, you give us some choices, you give us some options, uh, you give us some things that we could do for our own healing. And I, I pray right now for all my friends here that are within the, the sound of the microphone. I just, I pray for grace. I pray for mercy. I pray for love. God, I pray for justice. God, we, we pray for uh, humility to enter us. We pray that we have become honest before you and that you would do what you need to do in us. For those of, for those of the people here that don't maybe even know you yet and don't realize that you see them and love them and that you are full of mercy for them. 
that they would receive your mercy. Just even right now, they would receive the mercy of your love and your forgiveness. They would receive mercy over their own lives that would cover them, that would embrace them. We thank you, Jesus, that you went out of your way to get in our way and that you offered us another way and a deeper way and a more beautiful way. Would you keep leading us, keep challenging us, keep loving us, keep showing us so we could keep responding to your invitation. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you.